We are beginning a journey together for the first three weeks here of this new year uh, through conversations on race and race relations. So it's nothing like starting off the new year with a nice lighthearted topic to get us all thinking here as we begin um, our time together. And we, as a staff, as a, a preaching team at Christ Church, decided that we were going to have this conversation, not because it's trending on Twitter or because it has covered the news feeds of late, especially our news feeds here in Chicago. We need to talk about this because we are the body of Christ, because we are Christians, and because we come here on Sundays or Saturday nights or whatever other day of the week you show up here for something, and we sing the songs that we sang together, and we pray prayers to a God who cares very much about our getting it right and about our seeing one another as the divinely created, gifted humans that he created us to be, instead of defining and dividing against one another along ethnic or racial lines. And when we read Psalm 139, we read that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, which is to say that everyone who has ever lived, who lives now, and whoever will live, is divinely created, fearfully and wonderfully made. And if we really believe that, we would work differently in the culture that we have today. And if we really believe the words of Paul, who wrote at his time saying that in Christ Jesus, there is either slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, which again is to say God doesn't see our skin color or our gender or our economic differences, whatever that is, Jesus sees the heart and soul of the people that God created. And we are invited to be image bearers of God, to live into that image. So we should see the heart and the soul of people first. And this is the conversation we're going to try to have. And I, I saw it play out in the mind of um, my daughter, who is now a big second grader. She just turned eight. And, you know, uh, we live in Elmhurst, and Elmhurst is not necessarily a diverse community, so I'm not going to pretend that we have some big diverse school district that my children attend. But we have some diversity in our schools. And my daughter will bring playmates home. And she never, and this is a good thing, never describes her playmates by their skin color or an ethnic background, she will say to me, Mom, I want my friend Emma to come over. Emma's nice to me. Emma sits next to me at lunch. Emma treats me well on the soccer field. Doesn't matter, boy or girl. And it's so wonderful, I think, that I have no idea what skin color the child that I'm picking up is. Because my children, it doesn't occur to them to explain their friendships that way. What is important to my children is to explain to me why the person they want to hang out with means so very much to them. And I think that in children, we see a bit of the heart of God. And that's what we want to begin to be about. It's, I confess, a fearful topic. I am not exactly comfortable right now. I'm just going to betray that to you. I'm a little nervous to have this conversation because these are conversations that can trigger us. These are conversations that can unsettle us. These are conversations that can call us to think 
and act differently than we may feel comfortable with. And that can be a little anxiety provoking. Some of you are nervous right now. What's she going to say? What are we going to talk about? How am I going to feel? Am I going to agree or disagree with the preacher today? And you have the freedom to do both. Second Timothy says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power of love and of self-discipline. And so the fearful approach to this would be to not talk about it at all at church. But a spirit of love says, we got to get this right. If the community of faith can't get this right with God on our side, then there is no hope that we will reconcile these issues in our time. Couple caveats. Um, very clearly, I am a white girl from the suburbs, right? <laughs> so there are experiences that I cannot speak to because I have not had them. So I will not, and I know Dan Meyer on the other side of the building is not doing this either. We will not stand in front of you these next few weeks and pretend that we understand what it's like to have a different experience than our own. You know, I've always had a friend or two during different phases of my life that hailed from a different racial or ethnic background. We seemed to get along fine. We were friends on the athletic field or in the classroom or whatever place that God had overlapped our paths. And I confess, it never occurred to me for most of my childhood that the friends that I had of a different skin color, a different background, had a different experience than I did. I grew up and went to a mostly white high school. I graduated and went to the University of Iowa. Iowa is not exactly a state known for its diversity, right? And we fell on our sword big time during a football game this weekend. Oh, right. I mean, I'm, so I can only speak to what I have experienced. But what I have been learning throughout my life is that there are different experiences that happen in the same places, depending on the background and the makeup of where we have come from. And so what I want to do today is to speak to what I'm learning and what I believe the God of heaven is teaching me and what I feel like I've been given the opportunity to share with all of you this day. You know, the apostle Paul um, centuries ago wrote this great letter to the church at Ephesus and the early church struggled just as we do today to get this right. There were racial and ethnic tensions that plagued the early church and they fell along different lines than the ones we struggle with today. At the time that Paul wrote his letter to the church in Ephesus, there was a great tension between the Jewish community and the Gentile community and Gentile is just a fancy name for not Jewish. And so these two communities, both who believed in the same God, but who were divided by so many different routines and rituals and practices could not figure out how to honor one another, how to sit next to each other, how to listen to each other. They were drastically divided. And this was a source of great grief for Paul because it was a source of great grief to God. And so Paul writes this letter to the church and he tells them this starting in chapter two, verse 14, he says for Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. 
And he goes on to say, he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. And he continues in him, in God, the whole building, the whole house is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, us today as well, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul here is preaching against the division of our lives and our culture based on lines of ethnicity and race. And he calls the believers at that time to peace in the exact same way that we are called together in peace. Friends, we all end up together at the end around the same banquet table. We're going to take communion together. And one of the beauties in Revelation is we are told that at the great table where Jesus sits at the head, that every tongue and every tribe and every nation will be together under that one great glorious roof gathered around the table. We would be fools not to work toward that end now in our culture and in our time today. If ever there was a time that it was needed, it is now. Now is the time to figure out how to get this right. So in an effort to get this right, those of us who are on staff here have been working through a book called Gracism, which is where we get the title for this series. And there's a guy named David Anderson who authored that book. It's a wonderful resource if you want to pick it up. Anderson grew up in Washington, D.C. and moved here to Chicago, graduated from college here, and landed an internship after college at Willow Creek Community Church. Most of us are familiar with Willow, but if you're not, it is arguably the biggest and most influential church in the country, quite possibly the world. It's a big deal to get an internship at Willow. And Anderson describes himself as a very tall African-American male who was driving out a rusted, driving a rusted out Honda Civic on his way to his first day to his internship at Willow. And he was on time until he saw flashing lights behind him and he got pulled over on his way to his first day of the internship. And the police officer said that, you know, he had not actually committed any traffic violation, just wanted to check things out, and, and he led him on his way. Anderson was late for his first day at work. Interestingly, he went then to get lunch, and he's in South Barrington, which is um, a well-to-do community. And he got pulled over again on his way to lunch by a different police officer, who again said, you know what, you didn't actually commit a traffic violation, we just want to check things out here. And he had lunch, and guess what happened after lunch? He was driving back to the office on his first day. He was pulled over again a third time by a third police officer who, again, said that he hadn't actually done anything. He just wanted to check things out. Friends, he was pulled over a fourth time when he left work that day and got ready to go home. And, you know, I have to tell David Anderson's story because that has never happened to me. I have a dramatically different experience with police officers when they pull me over, usually for an actual traffic violation, when I was younger, not so much anymore, I could giggle and laugh my way as a college girl out of just about any ticket that I wanted to and just carry on. And I had actually done something wrong. We have dramatically different experiences. I had to tell Anderson's story because I don't have that story 
in my file cabinet, right? You know, and Anderson just lamented the fact that here he was so excited for his first day on this new job at this great church. And the whole experience was just tainted with the racism that we carry with us in many of our communities. And so he goes on to talk about what it means to be a gracist, a person filled with grace who interacts with others based on giving them our best thoughts and encouraging and hoping and building up. When I was um, in seminary, I uh, was at Denver Seminary, and I had a great friend who was an African-American woman, and she and I traveled together to Tampa. And uh, the climate in Denver is quite different than the climate in Tampa. And we got off the plane in Tampa, and we were trying to make it to an event, and we were late for that event. And it was humid. It was so humid in Tampa. And um, this friend of mine, always just in Denver, wore her hair just tight, slicked back in a ponytail. And uh, we were running through the airport, and then we were running through um, the rental car lot outside, and we hardly had a chance to look at each other. And as girls do in hair moments, she looked at me, and my hair was just plastered to my face because it was humid. And I looked at her, and her hair had just turned into this awesome, huge afro. (laughs) And she looked at me, she goes, it's going to get real. (laughs) And then she goes, you have to drive, because a black lady with a huge afro, we're gonna get, it's, it's going to go better if you drive the car, right? I mean, these are the sort of stories that come from our lives. And Anderson says, a gracist will focus on race for the purpose of positive ministry and service. Where the grace of God be, can be communicated through the beauty of race, then you have gracism. He says, a gracist recognizes there is beauty in diversity. And so what Dan and myself and the other members of the preaching team want to do with all of us over the next few weeks is unpack a series of what we are calling gracist behaviors. And we're going to do a few each week. And some of them are going to go, oh, okay, I can do that. And some of them are going to get at you a little bit. And we want to ask you to pray about them, to think about them, to seriously consider them long after you leave this room on a Sunday. And the first is this. Friends, let's just be honest. I mean, what did it kick up in you when we said, guess what? We're going to talk about race this week. What reaction did you have? What experiences have you had in your life that others have not? What biases or prejudices do you carry with you to work, to school, to your classroom, to your neighborhood, to your community, to here? And be honest about those things. We cannot have this conversation unless we are honest with where we are starting. Virginia Woolf once wrote that if you don't tell the truth about yourself, you cannot tell it to other people. We will not be able to make progress in this conversation unless we're honest. Let's just be honest about where we're at. Let's be honest about what we don't know. Secondly, listen. Good friends listen to each other's stories. And if we want to begin to understand this topic, we have got to listen well. And we have got to make friends with people who do not talk or look or live the way that we do. And not just as a project, but because they're really, truly our friends. And we need to listen to their stories. I am a talker. It is hard for me to shut my mouth and listen to people, but I have to do it. Proverbs 18 says to answer before listening, this is folly and shame. Friends, and we have to believe the stories that we hear. Listening 
receives the story that is told. It resists the urge to go, that didn't really happen. Because I don't have that experience. I can't believe that you actually had that experience. Listening opens us up to the sacred art of storytelling. And we have to slow down long enough to hear the stories and receive them and trust them and believe them. Third, we need to learn. We need to be learners. You know, we toss around phrases like lifelong learners. The story of race in this country is so deep and it's so complex. And we have to be people that learn. Jesus, when he uh, was teaching his disciples in Matthew 11, says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Put yourself in a position of learning. He says again in John that the Holy Spirit will come to what? Teach us what to do. So we have to be people who are ready to learn. I remember what an eye-opening experience, a learning experience that I had uh, when I had to go on an like, eight-day immersion experience in inner-city Denver. And I remember thinking to myself, I learned something just in that moment, that I had the privilege of deciding whether or not I wanted to spend eight days in the hood and then go back to my comfy couch in the suburbs of Denver. And I thought I knew a few things when I showed up and I attended that eight-day program. And you know what? I had to just realize I didn't know much of anything. I didn't even know what I didn't know until I showed up and started to learn about the different communities and what they struggled with. We have to be learners. Just because we've read The Help or the, seen The Blind Side or McFarlane USA or any movie doesn't mean we actually know the whole story. I think we like to say, well, I read this book. We've got to read lots of books. We've got to read lots of movies. We have to be people who learn. Let's love to learn together about this if we can. And lastly, let's be humble. You know, it's hard to sit and own what we don't know. It's hard to sit and let somebody else be our teacher, be our leader. You know, all of us, whatever our size, shape, gender, color, we all have a stubborn streak in us. And that stubborn streak can come out at times like these where we sit and go, well, who are you to teach me something? We have to be humble and we have to listen and we have to let somebody else lead and somebody else be in charge, which is very hard for Americans. Because we like to be in charge of just about everything, don't we? So we have to be humble. You know, at the beginning, I talked a bit about our stories, right? And, um, and the stories of this conversation and what we can and can't say based on the experiences that we've had. And I remembered um, looking at the TV uh, when the last um, shooting um, in Chicago, the, the news of Laquan McDonald. And I was flipping through the channels, and I just saw that video, and I shooed my kids out of the room, and I just sat there, and they kept showing the video over and over and over again. And I, I tuned out in my mind whose fault it was, who was arguing about why it happened, and it, it, all of that I tuned out. And I get emotional about this because I just looked, because I used to work with teenagers, and I just looked at the screen and thought, there is a 17-year-old boy laying dead on the street 
in the city that I call mine. We have to fix this. We have to get this right. There was a boy laying dead on the street of Chicago. That happens all the time, all over this country. We have got to get this right. And what I want to say to you is that that stirred me up so much that, you know, I went and I prayed or whatever. You know what happened? I flipped off the TV and we were late for Girl Scouts and we had homework and I started hollering at my kids. I flipped my brain off like that. I said, we got to get to Girl Scouts. You got to finish your homework. And my boys had hockey, which is quite possibly the whitest sport there is, right? (laughs) And we went to a hockey rink. And I think the greatest sin of, like, my generation of parents is going to be busyness. I think God's going to call us out for busyness at the end of all this. And it wasn't that I didn't care. Clearly, it rattled me. But I just had other things to do. And a couple weeks later, a good friend of mine who's an African-American woman who I have learned a lot from and who I consider just a brilliant mind, broke down and, and cried just about all of the tension and all of the chaos in this. And she just sobbed. And I'm going to confess to you, I wanted to do something. I just didn't know what to do. I just hugged her. And I just said, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry this is happening to all of us. And I'm sorry for this. And I wish, again, I could say I went and solved some big social issue then. I didn't. I just loved a friend, and I felt loved by her. And that, my friends, is sometimes all we can do, is to see the people around us as beautiful friends of God, as people who sit at the same table as us, as people from whom we can learn and grow and pray and change and move toward God's best for us. God's plan is not that we are shooting each other on the streets of our cities. And Revelation, you know what? We don't just get airlifted out of here to some tropical paradise. You know what the scene at the end of Revelation is? It's a city. It's the city of God. God draws us all together in a city at the end where we have actually figured this thing out. That is the picture of the table. We are sitting around the table of God together in a big, glorious city where there is every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And we are able to then finally see one another as God sees us. And the art of faith is to try to get that right here and now. So I don't know what that looks like for you. We've unpacked a few things. We're going to do it again next week, and we're going to do it again the week after. But pray about it. Sit with it. Do an inventory of where you're at on these topics. Start to ask yourself the hard questions. And let's begin to be the people around the table that we will indeed one day be. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table together. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of this time, for the opportunity to have conversations that at times are harder than others. Lord, thank you that um, we are a diverse planet of people. And that the reality is um, that while some 
have privilege and others might not, Lord, we are all privileged in your sight. And we all receive the blessings abundant from you. So let us live into that reality now. Let us see one another, not by our ethnic or racial differences, but by the heart of God, a heart of you inside of each of us. And Lord, bless us now as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.